All right, grab a Bible, open it up. Uh, if you don't have one, guess what? They're on the back table. You can get one. You need one. You must have one. You need to come with a Bible or leave with the Bible or both. You definitely need one. Um, I say it all the time, but it does no good to read a screen if you walk away from here and uh, don't carry the screen with you. So you can carry the Word of God with you, and there are free ones back there. Take as many as you want. Give them away. Um, anyway, all right, go to Genesis chapter 50. We've been moving through the story of God, and we've been looking at uh, uh, the different aspects of God's movement through his own word, all right? And today we're going to land in chapter 50 of Genesis, and by next week we'll be out of Genesis at last and moving on uh, at a bigger bigger clip as we go on through the word. But um, we've talked about the Trinity, we've talked about uh, God's creation, we've talked about Adam and Eve and the fall and how sin entered the world, we talked about how God uh, promised a deliverer through the seed or a child that would come from from uh, Eve. And then we kind of have been tracing that promise through Scripture, uh, looking at who God is as we do this. So we've moved from, uh, uh, you know, Cain and Abel to Noah, until we got all the way to Noah and the flood and what occurred there. And then on the other side of the flood, uh, into Abraham, into Isaac, into Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, correct? And then Israel has 12 sons, right? And so today, although the seed that we're following, although the, the child that we're following, he'll come through Judah of the 12 sons. He'll come through Judah. But today, the story of Genesis lines in on Joseph, one of the other sons. Now, Joseph is... A gigantic section of scripture is the whole back end of the book of Genesis, which means you get to go home and read it. So I am not going to cover all of Joseph uh, because we're looking at the story of God, not the story of Joseph. All right. But we are going to look at some of some of it today and kind of see the principle of it. And uh, what we're calling this is the hidden plan of God. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear the word hidden and you get excited like, oh, okay. There's there's something tucked away here that, that I might have access to. Or it might be something specifically this for me that I, I don't know about. But you have to be careful when you do that. Um, you have to be careful what you hope to find, too, when you do that. Uh, Joseph did end up finding a hidden plan of God, and it led him to become ruler and Savior, really, of the known world at the time. But it also cost him extreme suffering, okay? So let's look at uh, chapter 50, so last page. And let me read. I say let me read. Let me do this first. Now let me read. Um, just a few verses. We'll pray, and then we'll get back in here. So verse 18 says, uh, Joseph's brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. And uh, today in particular, Lord, uh, maybe it's just me, but today in particular, 
there's so much depth to what's in the word today. And um, we're only going to scratch the surface of it, Lord. But there's so much depth in truly understanding who you are through what's being said here. Help us be able to dig as much as we can dig and allow faith to carry us regardless. Lord, you are awesome, and I pray you're glorified by your own word and uh, that my word never steps in the place of yours. And I say this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so back in 1997, there was an author by the name of, get his name right here, Michael Drosnin. I remember his book. I didn't, never knew his name. Who got kind of famous because he published a book called The Bible Code. Any of y'all remember this? Our D group was talking about this a few weeks back. The Bible Code. And what the Bible Code, it, it actually became a big hit for a little while. And what the Bible Code suggests is that if you take the Hebrew language, which is uh, numer- and the numerical value. So if I said this to you, A, B, C, what numbers would you think? One, two, three. Right. Okay, exactly. So if you take Hebrew and you do the same thing, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, they, they have the same thing. One, two, three, four. Their numbers set on the backside, just like we would say ABC, one, two, three. So this man uh, figured out that if you take the Hebrew Bible and you look at all of the Hebrew Bible and you turn all of the Hebrew letters into numbers, and then you look at sequences of numbers... Uh, and you map out sequences of numbers, and then you correlate that to the English equivalent of ABC123 and flip it back. The Bible says all kinds of stuff, okay? So, for instance, one of the things that they revealed out of doing that was Hitler, uh, Auschwitz, World War II, all kinds of details about World War II. Uh, in fact, what he was most proud of is that on the second day of creation, when it's talking about the trees and the garden and all that, he found uh, on that one page 25 trees by name, like oak and gray. All the, he says all the trees that were in the garden are actually listed there uh, by doing this. Hype grew and grew. This was 97. So by 2002, 2003, this thing was a big hit. People were saying that Osama bin Laden's, they'd found Osama bin Laden. They had found 9-11. They'd found George W. Bush. I'm not even joking you. I I remember all of this. Uh, But that is until skeptics finally had enough and said, okay, and they opened War and Peace, and they took a one-page section of War and Peace using the same thing, and they found all of the same 25 trees. They were in the garden or whatever. Well, the author clearly got irritated. So the author responded back, and the author said on the Internet, he put, now this is back in the early 2000s, so it was, it was a little less quick as it is today, but he put out a challenge. The author did. And the challenge was this, and I'm going to read. This is exactly what it said. It said, when my critics find a message about the assassination of a prime minister encrypted in Moby Dick, then I'll believe them. Guess what they did? Dozens and dozens and dozens. They found Abraham Lincoln's assassination. They found Gandhi's assassination. They found MLK's assassination. They found JFK's assassination. And more and more and more and more and more. All right? And you can still find this book if you want to go look for it, although I clearly don't recommend it. Uh, But, um, yeah, sometimes we think we want this mystery so bad 
Like we want to see something so bad in his word. We want, we want something in there that's deeper when we, if we're honest, we really haven't even grasped what it plainly says. You know what I'm saying? What it plainly says. I mean, it's the, it's the hidden things that are plainly stated that I think are the biggest and harshest struggle, and we tend to go right past those. So we're going to look at this today, okay? This is where we're going. So if you get a sheet in the back, you don't have to, but if you get a sheet in the back, I always put a one-sentence kind of, if you remember one thought of the, of this talk, this is it. If we recognize that God's hidden plan in our lives, and here's, I'm going to give it away. If we recognize that God's hidden plan in our lives, whether it's through struggles or privilege, through sin, through faithfulness, through joy, through regret, no matter what, if we recognize that God's hidden plan in our lives is to actually paint a picture of his son while shaping our character, it will give us great strength to be faithful through anything. Okay? And you'll see that today. So let's get in here. Genesis chapter 50. Look at verse 15. Back up just a minute. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Well, what happened? Who is Joseph? We jump right over. We haven't even talked about that. Well, many of you probably know his story, but I'm going to give it to you really fast. But what happened? Why are they feeling this way? Um, why are his brothers afraid of him? What did they do? Well, so here's the story really quickly. Um, Jacob has, uh, Jacob Israel He has a few wives, as we've already talked about, but Rachel is the one he loves the most. Rachel's barren, but God blesses her, and she gives birth to two children in particular, uh, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is his favorite, dad's favorite. By far, it's not even hidden. He makes it very clear. Joseph is definitely his favorite, probably something he learned from his parents, because do you remember his parents? Jacob loved uh, Esau, and his wife Rebecca loved um, Jacob. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Isaac loved Esau. Yeah. So anyway, the father uh, here gives this cloak to a coat of many colors, you know, this cloak, this fancy, nice thing to gift to Joseph. And this would have required a lot of work. It would have been expensive to make. It was no small thing. And Joseph wears it proudly in front of everybody in the home. Uh, Joseph starts to have dreams where he sees his brothers bowing down to him and even his parents. And he foolishly brags about that to everybody in his fancy, nice uh, uh, dre- uh, dress, cloak. I was at a prom last night. So if I say something crazy today, y'all have a, not my prom, you know, high school prom. Sorry, total side note. Uh, so the brothers then, they plot to kill him. They've had enough of it. They said, that's it. He's out. We plot to kill him. So they intend to do it, but, and you guys can go read this. I'm giving you the fast view. You go back and read the story, and you should go back and read the story. But the brothers plot to kill him, but instead they sell him as a slave to these caravan traders. They take this fancy cloak, and they cover it in blood. They take it back to their dad and say he's been killed by an animal, and dad is demolished. I mean, demolished. Later, Joseph is sold in Egypt. As a slave in Egypt, into the house of a leader there called Potiphar, and because of God's favor, he quickly grows from being just a servant in the home to being in charge of everything in the home. Um, Potiphar puts him over everything, 
But then Potiphar's wife seduces him. I guess he's a good-looking guy. She seduces him. Uh, he knows it's wrong. He runs away from her, literally runs out of his clothes. She pulls his, clothes, his cloak off, a different cloak now, pulls it off as he's trying to run away. Uh, but it results in him being put in prison for years. Don't know how long, but for years he's in prison, okay? But again, God's favor is on him in prison. Now think about that. If I just stop right there with that one line, just think about that for a second. God's favor is on him in prison. We, we, we never want to put those words together, but there you go, okay? So he's put in charge of the whole prison. He gets placed alongside two criminals. They get handed to him. One is a baker, one is a cupbearer. We don't know what they did. They likely conspired against Pharaoh because they were his baker and his cupbearer, and they're both in prison, and they're under uh, Joseph's charge. They have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, basically that the baker is going to be killed, but that the cupbearer is going to be saved and restored to his place. And he says, when that day comes, remember me that I did this favor for you and that I am over the whole prison and I'm a good dude. And tell Pharaoh I'm here wrongly. The cupbearer gets restored. The baker gets killed. When the cupbearer stands before the Pharaoh, uh, what happens, you know? Forgets. Totally forgets about Joseph. And it says, for two more years. This is real time, folks. Two more years of sitting there. God, what, you know, what's going on? So Pharaoh then has some disturbing dreams. Pharaoh sees these seven cows that are really plump and thick and then seven cows that look like skeletons. Pharaoh sees these uh, ears of grain or corn that are plump and huge. And then he sees uh, seven that are dried up and withered. And he's confused by it. And then the cupbearer remembers, oh, yeah, there's a guy in prison. They interpret our dream two years later. So they bring Joseph up. Joseph tells the Pharaoh that the dreams mean that you are going to have seven years of, like, just blessing on the land. But then there's going to be seven years of the worst famine in history. Um, and he proposes an idea. He says, I have a suggestion on how to handle this, what we need to do. Pharaoh's so impressed by his plan and his action that Pharaoh says, go for it, and I'll put you in charge of everything up to me. So he's at the right hand of power in all of Egypt, okay? Eventually, oh, and by the way, side note, he doesn't use his power to get even with Potiphar or Potiphar's wife because now he's way up. You know what I mean? What about all those wasted years in prison? I mean, he could have Potiphar's head chopped off just by saying it at this point. But he doesn't. He uses his power and his position not to establish his own rule, but to serve. To serve. Okay? So eventually the famine comes and people uh, from surrounding nations then hear uh, that there's food in, in Egypt. And so nations come and nations come. Well, Canaan as well hears, and that's where his brothers are. So Joseph's brothers come to find food in Egypt. Well, when they stand before Pharaoh, I mean, stand before Joseph, excuse me, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And it's a pretty uh, gut, yeah, a heartwarming, gut-ripping story there. You can read it in your own time where he's standing in front of his brothers. And I won't go into the whole deal, but for a minute he messes with them. He accuses them of being spies. He has them put in prison for a few days. Um, he then sends them back to get their brother Benjamin, who wasn't with them because Dad couldn't make the journey. He was too old, and Dad wasn't going to let go of Benjamin because he lost Joseph, and Benjamin's the only other one. So 
Joseph aware of this. They don't know who Joseph is. Joseph knows who they are. Joseph sends back for Benjamin, freaks dad out, freaks the brothers out. Uh, he, he stuffs stuff in their bag. He plants a, he plants a little trap in the bag. He just messing with them. Um, nobody gets hurt, but he's messing with them for a little bit. And you can read it in your own time. Uh, until he finally can't stand it anymore and he breaks into tears and reveals himself to them and it's awesome in that moment, okay? And they hug and all that. Then they, he sends for dad. Pharaoh is like, man, it's awesome to meet your family. This Pharaoh is a good dude. It's awesome to meet your family. So Pharaoh brings, brings all the families. Bring all your family and come down here and we'll give you the best land. So they move him to this area in uh, Egypt called Goshen. We might call it the suburbs, you know. The nice, nice, nice area and put his whole family up there. Clearly, dad is over the top in joy that his son is alive. Uh, left for dead, believed to be dead. Now he's alive. Now, in Egypt, shortly thereafter, dad dies. Just he's old. So dad dies. So Isaac dies. Now, come back to the text. Isaac has died. And in verse 15, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Isn't it funny when we sin, like especially if we sin in a way that's hurt somebody, we hold on to it. Like, even if they said they forgive us, like we still just hold on to it. You know, like, we, like we're not going to let it go. Like what if they change their mind? I know they said they forgive us. I know they said they forgive me, but if, if I were them, I wouldn't forgive me. And we tend to hold on to sin, you know. And I can tell you right now, this is so destructive to our faith because we do it with God. If you are a believer in Christ in this room, his own word says your sins are cast where? Far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Exactly. You know, infinitely. It's gone. That's the whole point. It's gone. But we cling to it. Man, God can't love me after that. God can't really love me after that. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph. So they send somebody in saying, watch this. Your father gave this command. They didn't say our father. Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers. And their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. You hear what they're saying? They're like begging on his emotions here. The word servants are slaves. We are slaves of the God of your father. I can relate to this. You know you're in trouble or you think you're in trouble and you send somebody in to scope it out first. You know? Send somebody in to check things out. And then you... Attempt to play on their heart and soften them up as much as you can and, and, and get them, you know, broken hearted at least a little bit. Uh, it says back in verse 17, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came in and fell down before him and said, behold, we're your slaves. So literally they see Joseph in tears. And once they see him broken tears, they're OK, it's safe, you know, and they come running in and they lay on the ground and they. They're on their face. It literally hurts Joseph that they're still bearing this inner guilt. It is literally hurting him to the point of tears. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Would you weep about it? Or would you look at the opportunity, hey, here's my chance to get even. 
You know, what they did is what they did. They robbed me of my life. They lied to my dad. They put me in. How many, how many years did I do in prison? You know? The opportunity here to get even or make slaves at them. Uh, but maybe rather than put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, we should put ourselves in the brother's shoes. Because if we're honest, most of us are probably quicker to be envious, to be angry, to betray, to let those things overwhelm us until we make poor decisions that hurt somebody. But while Joseph is getting this message and these brothers come in, they fall on their face. They call themselves slaves, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. This is cool. He says, for am I in the place of God? Now, there's two notable things here. One, he's saying, only God can forgive sin. Only God can free you of the guilt in your heart. Now, he's already forgiven them. He's already said it. But what he's saying is only God can free Free that inner guilt that you have. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today, listen to me. If you're here today and you're constantly trying to find peace in your heart by doing good things or by even righting wrongs. Like I made a list. I'm going to write all these wrongs. If you try to find inner peace by doing that, it's not ever going to happen. God alone can set you free of the guilt of sin. And the best part is he will. All you got to do is ask. Uh, Joseph also here is saying that God is that, that, that he is not the judge of them. God alone is in charge. God alone is the one that has that they have to stand before on this, not him. Uh, and, and how he can say that. Think of what God's done in his life. He wouldn't even be sitting there if it weren't for what God had done in his life. Obviously, God had a greater plan than what appeared in their actions. And wow, is this a, a huge help for us when we're seeking forgiveness, especially if it's from somebody close to us. And I think we've all hurt somebody close to us. Probably, uh, I would say most of us have probably even hurt family. Um, but when they hurt us deeply, they hurt us deeply to be able to say, am I in the place of God? To, to, to before you respond, before you say, before you do anything, am I in the place of God? Can I trust that God has a plan in all of this, even the way they hurt me? Whoever it is. I can trust God that he will be just over the situation. Look at verse 20. He says, as for you, and this is his point, you meant, and this is so wild, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And his plan was most effectively accomplished. That's what happened. So their evil was aimed at him. God's plan, though, was aimed at multitudes of people. All right, look at verse 21, and we're going we're gonna to camp on this one, but let me get this other one here real quick. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's twice. In verse 19 and verse 21, he says, do not fear. Do not fear. Uh, immediately pops into my mind is First John chapter 4, verse 18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because Christ, he, Christ first loved us. 
If anyone says, this is what I think of with Joseph here. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brothers, he's a liar. Now you shall let that sit in a minute. If anybody says he loves God and hates his brothers, he's a liar. He's a liar. Black, black and white, you're a liar. You just need to let it sit in. You're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. All right? I, I feel like Joseph is a great example of this. He loves his brothers. Yeah, they've messed him wrong. Yeah, they've wronged him. Yeah, they've done all these things. But he loves them. But let's back up to verse 20 there again. The, this is the verse. This is the kind of the theme of all of Joseph's life, of all of these chapters. And think about what's being said here. We make statements like this all the time, but we never really lay into what they mean. For instance, uh, the Hurricane Katrina. I'll never forget seeing a news person say, hey, uh, it didn't take God by surprise. Heard a pastor say that too. Man, don't worry. It didn't take God by surprise. Just that's, we say that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but what I'm saying is just stop for two seconds and think about what you just said. What are the implications of what you said? Uh, if, if I were to tell LSA, hey, God's in charge, not Putin. What are the implications of what I just said? Do you understand where I'm getting at with this? Am I saying that God... Caused Katrina or did nothing to stop it? If anybody, if you say that, then you got to wrestle with the words you're saying. He says here, you meant it for evil. God, look at this, meant it for good. Don't miss those words. Meant it for good. God didn't fix it. God didn't fix it. It's not saying that, oh, he made it to be good. It's not saying he reacted and he repaired it. It's not saying that, well, you did evil, but he maneuvered it around and, and made it work out. He meant it for. He caused it He in a pre-planned way. That's what that means. In a pre-planned way, he caused it to be good and then enforced it beforehand to make it happen. That's what it's saying. God meant it for good. Also, by the way, he's not calling evil good. Doesn't say that. He's not calling evil good. He's just saying that it's in its purpose in his hands is for good, though it is evil by the hands of men. All right. Don't worry. I know it's deep water. We're going to get through it. Be all right. But this is. Oh, also notice, by the way, it doesn't say for Joseph's good. It was for the good of many. This is the part of Romans 828 that people jump over all the time. And you can look that verse up in your own time. It's for the good. God causes all things to work together for the good, for his plan. Uh, but it also displays that God was working in Joseph's life, too, here. Uh, let me show you a parallel mention of Joseph's life in Psalms. Psalm 105, verse 16 is telling the story of Joseph, well, of history, but Joseph in there. And in verse 16, it says, watch this, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet uh, were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. 
I love the way the that the last verse reads in the New Living Translation. I love it. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And by dreams, by the way, that's not like I want a Tesla and a Ferrari and a 12-bedroom home. That's the dreams that God gave to him. It says, until that time, God tested his character. The test is, do you still believe me? Do you still trust me? What if... You have shackles put on your ankles. Do you still trust me? What if what if you stand before a judge in your country and have to make a stand for the gospel? Do you still trust me? You know, that's the test of character. Do you still trust me? The dreams are just prepping him for it. But notice it was planned beforehand. It says when God summoned a famine, which means that God planned the famine care how you look at it, that when God summoned the famine, that beforehand he also, before Joseph was born, he also had a plan for Joseph during that famine, during that time. Sovereignty, man, it's a huge word. We're going to lay into it. But the plan also came with suffering. It also came with testing. It also came with temptation. What about the devil? Am I saying the devil's not involved in all of this? No, sure the devil's involved in all of this. Suffering and whatnot, sure he is. But the devil is playing it exactly as God determined. I once heard a pastor say that the devil is God's devil. He's on a leash. He's on a leash. Um, we'll return back to it in a moment, but let me come on with this with Joseph. You know, you may want to relate your life to Joseph. You may look at his life and say, yeah, that's just like me. Or, yeah, that's just what I'm going through. Or, yeah, that's just what's happening with me. And, and there are ways you can do that, and that's fine. But let's not forget the purpose of Scripture is to show us Christ. The purpose of That's why it's the story of God, not the story of Joseph. The purpose of Scripture is to show us and reveal Jesus to us. God is always painting. Oh, listen to me. This will change the whole way you read the word. God is always painting a picture of Jesus. Always. In every life, in every situation, he's always painting a picture of his son through the lives of those. That is the hidden plan. Your life as you live as a believer and as a Christian, on and on and on, is the hidden plan is God is conforming you to the image of his son. Is displaying his son through your life. And our life should be no different. That's how we interpret scripture incorrectly. Because we go in there and we start desiring to find what we need. Because we want our lives to be better. So we start looking at scripture. And we, our desire is uh, where's our need going to be fit. Our desire should be to find him. And reflect him. And that's it. Because what happens when you start always looking for self application is. You start saying I'm going to be just like Joseph. I want to be just like Joseph. Or I want to be just like Abraham. Or I want to be just like Noah. But what about I want to be just like Samson? Or I want to be just like Jonah. Please, Lord, no. You know of all of them, not that one. Ah, man. Nope. Um, We're supposed to be more like who? Jesus. That's it. Please make me more like Jesus. 
That's all. That's it. And when we see these people, that should be helping us see how our lives can be more like Jesus, period. So where was Jesus in Joseph's life? All right, I'm going to go through these quick, and there are tons of them. But to me, the two people who reflect Christ the best in Scripture, like their lives point to him unbelievably, Joseph and of all people, Jonah, from a different aspect. And we'll get to Jonah. We're not there yet, but we'll get to him in, uh, in time. So here's just some ways that Jesus is pictured in Joseph's life. The famine and Joseph's suffering was determined beforehand. All right. God sent Joseph ahead, uh, ahead of time to offer salvation from death to Jacob or Israel and to all Gentile nations, too, because he was in Egypt. The cross... And Jesus' suffering was determined beforehand. That's plainly stated throughout the word, that God determined it before the foundations of the earth. God sent Jesus before the foundation of the world to offer salvation from sin and death to Israel and to all Gentile nations. Same thing. Rachel was barren, his mom. Mary was a virgin. Joseph's brothers envied him. The Jewish leaders envied Jesus. Of the 11 brothers, only Benjamin was loyal and close to Joseph. Of Jesus' brothers, the Jews, the Jewish people, only a small few, the disciples, were loyal to him and close to him. Jacob sent his son Joseph to his brothers who attempted to kill him when he did it. God the Father sent Jesus to his brothers, the Jewish people, who killed him instead. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers who wanted to kill him. And they sold him for a price. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers, uh, the Jews and Judas, maybe specifically, who did kill him. And he was also sold for a price. Joseph's colorful cloak was taken and dipped in blood. Jesus' cloak was covered in his own blood because it was placed on him by soldiers and then ripped back off. Uh, Jacob was deceived into believing that Joseph was dead. Israel is deceived because they believe to this day that Jesus is dead. Uh, Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph, but he didn't sin. Satan tempted Jesus, but he remained sinless. Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph. False witnesses were brought in to falsely accuse Jesus. Joseph ran out of his clothes, escaping the accuser here. Jesus' clothes were stripped off by his accusers and divided up. Two thieves were put with Joseph. One was saved, one was executed. Two thieves were hung by Jesus on a cross. One gave his life to Christ and entered heaven. The other went straight to hell. Joseph went from dungeon to the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus went from the grave to the right hand of the Father. Joseph began at his position alongside Pharaoh at 30 years old. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. By order of Pharaoh, all bow to Joseph. By order of God the Father, all bow to Jesus Christ. Uh, Jacob's brothers stand before him as ruler of the kingdom. Israel will stand before Jesus as ruler of the kingdom. Jacob's brothers cried when they heard, when they recognized him. Israel will weep when they recognize Jesus. Zechariah 12.10 says that when they saw him whom they pierced, they were brokenhearted. Joseph's brothers seek forgiveness. But he's not, he's not God, but he gives forgiveness. Jesus' brothers and sisters, all of us, seek forgiveness from sin. Jesus is God and grants it. Joseph saved his brothers. 
and countless Gentiles too by becoming their victim. That would be a picture of the cross. Joseph was essentially dead to them, but found to be alive and at the right hand of power. And that is a picture of the resurrection and the ascension. His whole life is a picture of Jesus from start to finish. And there's tons of others. A great book by a woman called C.V. Tripp. It's called Joseph, Jesus, and the Jewish People. If you want to read it, it's fantastic. But it it aligns so many of these things. There's so many more. Um, And now there's clearly things, knowing that, we can apply to our own lives. Recognizing sovereignty and suffering. Even if we're suffering, that God's sovereign. We can trust God through things. We allow God to use leaders of nations, even pagan leaders, to fulfill his plan. Uh, we can realize that even uh, in the worst, God's not caught off guard because there is a plan. So let me finish with sovereignty. Let's circle back to it for just a second. I'm almost done here. But let's finish with sovereignty really fast. It brings up something. Sovereignty brings up hidden truths really fast that don't require a code to get to. For instance, God used the Jewish leaders, all right, the Jewish leaders, he used their evil jealousy to accomplish the good of fulfilling Scripture and sending Jesus to a cross. He used the Romans' evil violence as the tool to accomplish the sacrifice of his son. God used, even used Judas' greed, which he was one of the disciples, even used Judas' own greed as the catalyst to start it all into motion. Not calling any of it good, but using every bit of it and planned beforehand. I love this little line C.S. Lewis said in a book called The Problem of Pain. He said, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose in your life, however you act. But it makes a difference to you whether you serve it like Judas or like John. Now you think about that, I'm going to read it again. You will certainly carry out God's purpose in your life, however you act. But it makes a difference to you. Whether you serve it like Judas or like John. Powerful statement. And it brings up language like perfect and permissible will. You know, it brings up language like revealed and secret will and all these deep theological things. And they get so heavy and it can get so overwhelming. And you can become entangled in trying to find an explanation for everything. And before you know it, you're tied in knots and you're sinking in this theological sea of ideas and arguments and confusion and maybe even starting to doubt. And look, man, I love to study. If you come to my house, one whole wall is all just books, floor to ceiling. I love study. I do. But we are saved by what? Grace through faith. Period. Period. That, that's not like the beginning or the end. Period. That's it. All the study in the world is fantastic. It has nothing to do with your salvation. So at some point in time, things just have to be accepted. The unseen just has to be accepted. Not just that the unseen God is there, but the unseen theological things that we just can't put into a box. At some point, we just have to go on faith and say, I can't explain it, but I trust it. I can't explain it, but I trust it. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do his word. Saying clearly, there are things that are secret that belong to God that, that we're not going to get there. We're just not going to get there. And I can say this. I'll be happy to talk deeper with you on these things anytime you want. But the more you wrestle with the sovereignty of God, the more you find yourself drifting into one or two camps, okay? The more you wrestle, the more you start drifting into one or two camps. Either fear and doubt and maybe even anger or overwhelming humility, brokenness, and love. And I'm telling you right now, if you read his word and Holy Spirit is in your heart, this is the only camp you're going to find yourself in. The only one. And I'll show you this as we get done here. Take a look at uh, which camp Joseph was in. We know because of his sons. Look in chapter 41, verse 51. It says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. All his brother's drama. All the hardships and struggles that came from that. Verse 52. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in what? The land of my affliction. Can you see where his heart is? He gets that no matter what happened. His brothers doing this horrible thing to him. Provided the opportunity for him to save their lives. Now just put that in your pipe a minute. You know what I'm saying? We can talk about all the ifs. What if they never did it? What if they didn't? But that's not the point. They did. So their evil act on Joseph put Joseph in a position to save their lives. The evil act of putting Jesus on a cross. The evil act of putting Jesus on a cross put him in a position to save the lives of those who hung him there. What did God say? What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them. They know not what they do. They're in the hand of God. They're in the hand of God. Listen, there's huge comfort in knowing Huge comfort in knowing that in the worst of situations, God's still working a plan in our lives. But that's not something that's based on our worthiness. It's not based on our worthiness. It's based on our faith in him as he shapes us into the image of his son. And if his only plan, the hidden plan, is to conform us to look like Jesus, listen to me, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to be part of that plan. You cannot be part of that plan because he's conforming you to him. So it all starts with you saying, I want to belong to him. And if that isn't you today, that's where it starts for you. That's where it begins for you. You want to come back up and we'll do one more song. And you guys can go ahead and stand up with me. Um, We don't have we don't always have altar calls or things like that in here. Uh, Maybe we will someday just for the change up of things 
But I want you to know something that I'm always here and I always want to talk to you. And if you're challenged by something, if you have a question about something, if you're saying, man, I want to be baptized. If you're saying, man, I need Jesus. I need to get this right. I need to surrender. You can come right now and talk to me. You can come after. I'm the last person out the door. You can talk to Josh. You can talk to David. You could talk to many people in this room uh, who know Christ and can help you get to that next step. Lord. You are awesome. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for the life that he lived. I know it's easy for us to look back and read through his life really quick like that, but it, but he lived all that. That was his whole entire life of of suffering, of struggle. Um, I think even the two years in prison, that's just a small piece of it, but knowing he was forgotten again. Um, Lord, thank you for the way you used him. To paint a picture of your son. That Lord I pray. As we model not Joseph. But model your son. Lord that you you display in our lives. Just like you displayed in his life. Who he is. Who Jesus is. Lord we love you. We ask all these things for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen.